Welcome to this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. I'm Casey. And I'm Jessica. And I'm Marie. Hey, it's Victoria, and you're listening to episode number 20, Survivorship and Forgiveness. Now, many survivors I work with name forgiveness as a complicated and even challenging journey with a whole bunch of questions attached to it. And it's super important to talk about because of how often it comes up for survivors. Throughout this episode, you will hear voices of real survivors and their personal experiences with forgiveness. And I will talk you through some considerations of forgiveness and its role in the healing process. First though, what is forgiveness? I mean, sure, many of us have an idea of what it is and may even put it into practice because forgiveness is highly dependent on our socialization. Many survivors I work with name religion, especially Christianity, as a salient identity when they talk about forgiving perpetrators for abusing them. But have you ever thought about what forgiveness really means? First, it's important to understand that in our society, forgiveness tends to be gendered in cases of interpersonal violence. This just means that girls and women are socially expected to forgive more than men. I mean, our society often says things like, boys will be boys, when sexual violence happens, and women are expected to agree, shake our heads, give men a pass, and go on about our lives. Often, when women disclose experiences of sexual assault, we hear people ask questions like, well, what was she wearing? Or, how much did she have to drink? Instead of asking the perpetrator, why did you rape her? Also, when a woman experiences relationship violence, people often ask, well, why doesn't she just leave? Instead of asking, why did he hurt her? These scenarios are but a few ways in which we put the responsibility on survivors for their own violations. It sounds absolutely ludicrous, but it happens all the time. We also tend to believe what we are conditioned to believe. For example, our society teaches us that being rational is a male trait and is better in challenging situations than being emotional, which is understood as a female trait. But we rarely question why rationality is positioned as better than being emotional. Our conditioning may also mean that we sometimes ask ourselves the same questions that other people ask when we, or someone close to us, experiences interpersonal violence. The pressure to forgive is very real for girls and women as well as folks who identify with other genders. That being said, let's dive into what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Forgiveness is defined as a verb that means to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. That seems pretty simple, I guess, but it doesn't get into the reasons why someone may or may not make this choice. In reality, there's a ton of other stuff tied to forgiveness that is important to unpack and think about a little bit more. For example, it can be helpful to think of forgiveness as a journey, not a destination. In reality, life after trauma is not a linear process. We can't map a straight path from being broken to suddenly being whole and better. I mean, that'd be rad and all, but it's just not how things work. Forgiveness is similar because it's often something that ebbs and flows, depending on how you're doing that day. Some survivors I work with say that on certain days, they feel closer to forgiving their perpetrator, which can make them feel like they're really moving on. But on other days, they feel triggered and overwhelmed with their trauma, which causes emotions to surface, like grief or rage, which can interrupt the forgiveness process. If this resonates for you, don't feel like you're failing at forgiveness or at healing. These shifts are totally normal 
and do not mean forgiveness is not in the cards for you. Also, a common adage I hear from survivors is the phrase, forgive and forget. It seems like these two are intertwined, but they're actually two separate ideas that aren't necessarily linked. Often, survivors feel like forgive and forget is a necessary path toward healing because they have been taught that forgiving and forgetting about traumatic experiences is the best course of action for moving forward. Now, this may be true for some survivors, and that's totally valid. But for others, forgetting is not an option. As Casey talked about in her season one episode, The Neurobiology of Trauma, traumatic experiences live inside your body and your psyche. Human beings are neurologically wired not to forget trauma, at least for a while, because these responses are necessary for survival. So the idea that it's necessary to forget what happened to you is really saying that all of the pain, nightmares, triggers, and other trauma responses you may be experiencing aren't valid enough to continue to feel. You may even think something's wrong with you if you can't forget your abuse. But if you really think about it, these kinds of responses to trauma make a whole lot of sense because it's totally natural to experience emotional reactions to abuse. This can feel pretty yucky, and many survivors I work with say they feel like failures or that they're doing forgiveness wrong if they can't forget what happened to them. Remember, though, you can't really do forgiveness wrong if you're being true to yourself in the process. So, the inability to forget a traumatic event is totally understandable, and it does not make you a failure. Remember that forgive and forget are not necessarily linked. Also, we often think of forgiveness as automatic reconciliation. Well, this simply is untrue and can actually be super problematic for survivors. You see, forgiveness is not necessarily something you do for the benefit of your perpetrator, although this may be an important element of your personal journey. We see this idea show up often for survivors who choose to stay in abusive relationships and experience ongoing relationship violence. For example, the cycle of violence usually goes from calm to tension building or walking on eggshells to abuse to the honeymoon stage, then back to calm before it starts over again. In this cycle, forgiveness as reconciliation often shows up in the honeymoon stage when an abuser apologizes and or offers gifts of jewelry or flowers to their victim after abuse happens. Often, survivors say that they feel like forgiveness must equal reconciliation, especially because their partner demands it, or the survivor knows abuse will escalate if they do not reconcile with their abuser. Sometimes, Reconciliation is necessary for the safety of survivors who choose to remain in violent relationships, and it can mean the relationship will continue, like the abuse never happened. The idea of reconciliation also comes up in other forms of interpersonal violence. For example, some survivors who have been sexually assaulted by a friend or acquaintance say they feel pressure to reconcile with their abuser in order to maintain their friend group. This often means they're encouraged to stay silent to remain in their circle, and it will also continue like nothing ever happened. Forgiveness as reconciliation can also feel true for child abuse and childhood sexual assault survivors because they may feel they must keep a secret or maintain order in their families. Remember that forgiveness does not have to equal reconciliation. In fact, you don't even have to tell your abuser you've decided to forgive them, and you certainly don't have to be friendly with them or let them back in your life. Remember that you don't owe anyone forgiveness, and how you move forward is completely up to you. 
at first I felt like I never wanted to forgive him. But now that time has passed a little bit, I'm starting to realize more and more that forgiveness is for you. It's about letting go and just having freedom from all this pain that they've caused you. It's just a weight off your shoulders. Another thing that comes up when talking about forgiveness is the idea that it equals absolution or a total pardoning of the abuse. Many survivors I work with say that this is especially salient in their religious identity because of the way they understand God to forgive. For example, many Christian survivors I work with feel there is a sense that they should forgive their abuser and leave it to God to cleanse their perpetrator of their sins. Now, I'm not debating whether or not this is true, and it is totally okay to have faith in this idea. However, it is not necessary to feel that your abuser is absolved of what they did. You can even choose to hold them responsible for the rest of your life. If you identify as Christian or any other religion that holds forgiveness as an important tenet of faith, it may help to think about the perpetrator's relationship to God as totally separate from you and handled privately between them. Your forgiveness is not necessary for your abuser to seek absolution, and you do not have to be the one to grant it to them. But if you choose to forgive and give it over to God, that can be a wonderful action toward healing. So I think we've got a pretty good grasp of what forgiveness is and what it isn't. So far, I've said that forgiveness is a journey, not a destination, that forgiving and forgetting can be separated, and that forgiveness does not have to equal reconciliation or absolution. So with these thoughts in mind, I'd like to get into the idea of forgiveness as a choice. Yes, Forgiveness is absolutely a choice made by the survivor. It's not something one should be coerced or talked into considering. As I mentioned a little while ago, the pressure to forgive can definitely show up in religion. But I've also worked with many survivors that say their family, friends, or other support systems pressured them to forgive their perpetrator too. This happens for a lot of different reasons. Maybe your support system feels like forgiveness will help you heal. This can definitely be true, but it isn't always the case. You may also consider the challenges that come with being a support person for a survivor. In the WGAC, we call these individuals secondary survivors. Sometimes it can be really hard to hear about traumatic stuff happening to the people we love, especially if their healing process is perceived to take a long time. Some secondary survivors even experience what we call vicarious trauma which means they experience trauma-related impact from hearing the story or stories of survivors. So, sometimes support systems may pressure you to forgive because they feel like it may lessen the impact on both you and them, or because they simply don't know what else to do. This doesn't necessarily mean your support systems are being unsupportive. They are probably just trying to do the best they can in a bad situation, just like you. However, Oppression does show up in lots of different ways, and pressuring someone to do something they aren't ready or don't want to do is a form of oppression, regardless of the person delivering that message. You may also feel like you aren't a good person if you don't choose forgiveness. This comes up all the time in advocacy, but it is absolutely untrue. Remember earlier when I said forgiveness is a journey, not a destination? This totally applies here. You see, the honest truth is that somebody did something really awful to you. You were dehumanized, assaulted, and violated. 
I know it hurts, and the impact is very real. It's really asking a lot to expect yourself to forgive before you're fully ready, or to forgive at all. Forgiveness may come, or it may not. Either way, you are good and valuable and so very precious. Sometimes, perpetrators even ask for the forgiveness of their victims because they are seeking absolution or they're on a journey of their own. Again, you may choose to offer your forgiveness to them or you may not, but keep in mind that forgiveness is something that is not necessarily done for the benefit of your perpetrator. It is something you may consider for your own growth and healing. You may even decide not to share this choice with anyone else, and that is perfectly okay. Some survivors I work with even choose to never forgive their perpetrator. This can be a source of empowerment and may feel like you're taking back control of your life. You see, you don't owe anybody a damn fucking thing, including your forgiveness. You get to choose whatever helps you heal. I think that it takes someone who is really strong and really brave to be able to forgive someone. But for me, I'm not there yet and I don't think I ever will be. Needless to say, forgiveness is highly personal and looks different for everybody. It's definitely not one size fits all. Depending on who you are and how you were raised has a lot to do with this decision. The best thing about it is, you can't do forgiveness wrong if you're doing what's best for you. Again, you get to choose. So, I've talked a lot about forgiveness and what it looks like, especially in forgiving perpetrators but many survivors I work with struggle with forgiving other people too. For example, some survivors struggle with forgiving their family, friends, and or other support systems in the aftermath of interpersonal violence. I've had several survivors tell me that they told their parents or friends about their assaults, only to be blamed for what happened. Some survivors have experienced their friend groups supporting their perpetrator instead of them, and many have lost friends when they disclose their assault. Also, some male survivors that were assaulted by men even experience homophobic blame from friends or family members. Situations like this can make you feel very alone and further traumatized. It can be super hard to forgive all those people on your journey to healing, especially if you really thought you could count on them for support. I think forgiveness plays a part with like my family since I didn't get the reaction that I was wanting from my parents or that I didn't get a good reaction from them, like trying and working on like forgiving them and moving on, especially since like now that I've worked with survivors a lot, I know they don't have, they just didn't have the information or like the knowledge around like survivors. And so forgiving them and like moving past that, I think has been a big thing, but I don't have any forgiveness for the perpetrator. That being said, forgiveness is not only something we consider, for people external to ourselves. Now, remember earlier when I talked about internalized oppression? This is the idea that we have been socialized to believe negative things about our own identities, even if these ideas seem like they don't make sense on the surface. In cases of interpersonal violence, internalized oppression can cause you to think what happened to you is really your fault. The messages we get from media and our own people often solidify these beliefs. So, many survivors I work with find it extremely difficult to forgive themselves. It takes a lot of time and hard work to break down complicated belief systems. It may even be really hard to honestly believe you are not to blame for what happened to you. But remember, 
Nothing you did caused this. Also, for many different reasons, survivors may think they actually deserve their own abuse. This thought comes up often in advocacy. For example, some survivors I work with say they shouldn't have been flirting or drinking, so they deserved to be sexually assaulted. In the case of relationship violence, I've heard survivors say things like they shouldn't have made their abuser mad or shouldn't have stood up for themselves because they know this causes them to be hit or strangled. In short, they feel like they deserve to be hurt because they violated the rules of their own relationship. As black feminist and social activist Bell Hooks writes, quote, All too often women believe it is a sign of commitment, an expression of love, to endure unkindness or cruelty, to forgive and forget. End quote. But abuse is not love. If this resonates with you, please know you're not alone and remember that it is not your fault. The only person that should be blamed for abuse is the abuser. However, these kinds of beliefs can make it very difficult to forgive yourself for being abused or accepting repeated abuse. Be gracious with yourself in this process because it's not an easy one. Practicing self-care, affirmations, and mindfulness can help you begin a journey towards self-empathy and self-love, which can bring you closer to forgiving yourself. This may sound cliche, but truly, Treating yourself with loving kindness can help shift internalized oppression and lead you to radical self-love. Bell Hooks goes on to say that, quote, In actuality, when we love rightly, we know that the healthy, loving response to cruelty and abuse is putting ourselves out of harm's way. Love saves us only if we want to be saved, end quote. Please know that the forgiveness and love of the self may be the most important choice you make on your healing journey. On this note, I'd like to offer a personal anecdote on the subject of forgiveness. Personally, I am a survivor of multiple traumas, but the most salient for me was my 10-year involvement in an abusive relationship. This relationship left me broken, and after my escape, I was faced with the necessity for healing. I worked hard in advocacy and therapy to navigate my PTSD diagnosis and reclaim my life. I embraced the rage, pain, and grief as they came. Anger proved to be an important tool in reclaiming my power. Eventually, though, my rage subsided and I chose to move toward forgiveness because it made sense in my personal journey. The most significant pieces of this journey involved transforming hate and developing empathy. First, I thought about my abuser. Yes, he had hurt me multiple times. Yes, he very nearly stole my life, both literally and figuratively. But I also knew his story. You see, this abusive person had also been an abused little boy who grew up into a broken man. This side of him was, and remains, worthy of my empathy and understanding. Now, this does not give him any passes for what he did to me, because it really was inexcusable. However, it does make his behavior understandable, which helped me to understand that the abuse really wasn't my fault. I chose to experience empathy for the brokenness that leads human beings to enact cruelty on other human beings. I felt his pain and chose to see that little boy reeling from physical and sexual abuse instead of focusing on the monster he had become. And... 
although I never said the words to him, I chose to forgive him. Then I focused on myself. If I could offer empathy and understanding toward my abuser, why was it so hard to do the same for me? But after a lot of hard work, I was able to offer myself that same loving kindness. I chose, after all that had happened, to finally forgive myself. And in that, I truly found my freedom. Now, I'd like to offer a cool resource I found about forgiveness. It's called The Forgiveness Project and can be found at www.theforgivenessproject.com. This website is basically a collection of stories from people about their journeys toward forgiveness. You can navigate to stories under three different headings. One is by country, where you can click through stories of forgiveness from people all over the world. Another heading is questions, including who deserves to be forgiven and how can large-scale injustices be forgiven. The last heading includes stories by theme. Under this are seven subheadings, which are feeling pain and anger, being curious, forgiving yourself, seeking revenge, transforming hate, making meaning, and developing empathy. I found this website to be a beautiful testament to the power of forgiveness in many different forms in the lives of a diverse group of people. I recommend you check it out. To close out this podcast, I want to invite you to participate in a short meditation about forgiving the self. If you're not interested in participating, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you find clarity around forgiveness. But if you're sticking with us, I invite you to sit comfortably, place a hand on your stomach, and close your eyes. First, focus on your breath. Breathe deeply through your nose and feel your hand rise as you breathe directly into your diaphragm. Hold that breath for a few seconds, then release through your mouth, making your exhale longer than your inhale. Hold that breath for a few seconds, then release it through your mouth, making your exhale longer than your inhale. Again, breathe deeply. And when you breathe in, notice the sensation of the air in your nostrils. Feel its temperature, how it feels passing into your body. Pay close attention as your lungs fill up, offering healing oxygen to your body and to your blood. When you exhale, notice the sensation of the air on your lips as you offer this breath to the space surrounding you. As you continue to breathe deeply, recognize that breath is life. We don't even have to consciously choose to breathe, but this action does so much for us. Breath offers oxygen that helps your brain function, your muscles to move, and your soft tissue to heal among many other wonderful things. Offer gratitude to your breath for the healing love it provides. Now, continue to breathe deeply. Breathe in, and on your next out breath, 
imagine releasing that which no longer serves you. This may be hatred, anger, self-blame, rage. If it's time to let it go, breathe it out of your body. Now, I invite you to breathe in and imagine drawing in the love of the universe. Imagine that healing, peace, and self-love may be drawn in through your breath. Breathe in that which nourishes your being and release that which no longer serves you. Do this two more times. Breathing in. Draw that which nourishes your being. Hold that breath and breathing out, release that which no longer serves you. Again, breathing in, draw that which nourishes your being, hold and breathing out, release that which no longer serves you. Now, while still breathing deeply, I invite you to repeat after me. I will say my own name in this exercise, but when you repeat after me, please say your own name. When you do this, really feel in your body where it lands and how it can heal. Victoria, you deserve love. Victoria, you deserve kindness. Victoria, you deserve healing. Victoria, you deserve peace. Again. Victoria, you deserve love. Victoria, you deserve kindness. Victoria, you deserve healing. Victoria, you deserve peace. Still continue to breathe deeply and repeat after me again while using your own name. And again, recognize how this feels in your body and how it can heal. Victoria, you are valuable and worthy. Victoria, this was not your fault. Victoria, I forgive you. Victoria, I love you. Repeat this one more time and really embrace saying these things to yourself. You are valuable and worthy. This was not your fault. I forgive you. I love you. Take one more deep breath and offer gratitude to yourself for being open and vulnerable. 
experience how these affirmations feel in your body. And when you are ready, open your eyes. I hope that was helpful to you and that you navigate your personal forgiveness journey in whatever way helps you heal and regain your power. Remember that you are beautiful, valuable, and so very, very loved. That's all for this episode of We Believe You, advocacy, resources, and healing around interpersonal trauma. Please remember that the WGAC is here to provide support for all CSU students, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. To reach an advocate, you can call 970-492-4242. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for the podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's W-G-A-C at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. For more information about advocacy in the Women and Gender Advocacy Center, go to www.wgac.colostate.edu. You can also find the WGAC on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. A big thank you to Xavier Hadley for creating the music used in this podcast and to our partnership with KCSU here at Colorado State University. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Thank you so much for listening and take care of yourself.